Orphaned Entertainment, the podcast dedicated to public domain and abandoned media. I'm your host, Christopher, and my co-host is the woman who always obeys that impulse. It's Lydia. (laughs) That's uh, surprisingly not too far (laughs) off the mark. (laughs) If by impulse you mean mania, then yeah. (laughs) If by impulse you mean the voices in my head, yes, I obey them. They're not loud enough to bother anybody else. How are you, Lydia? I'm doing well. How are you, Christopher? I'm doing fantastic. I'm excited to finally uh, sit down and talk about this film with you. We've uh, yeah. we've had to push it off a little bit a couple times just because yes. of uh, life. well, life and me <laughs> and me being lazy. I'll admit it. <laughs> Not last week, but uh, definitely I can I can identify. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, before we start, I want to first thank everyone for tuning in. And for anyone who hasn't already, let you know that you can listen and subscribe to the show by visiting Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Google Play. And I encourage you to please rate and review us at any of those outlets. You can also search for us in about just about any podcast app of your choice, and I'm pretty sure we're going to show up. You can join our Facebook group to search for Orphan Entertainment there. And if you'd like to email us with any comments, suggestions, or feedback on this or any episode, please type or record a message and send it to orphanedentertainment at gmail.com. I encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Again, just go to YouTube and search for Orphan Entertainment. And there you can watch many of the films that we've covered here on the podcast, as well as know a little in advance what film we'll be covering next. Unless we... Uh, take a month gap because we don't get around to it <laughs> or change our minds abruptly <laughs> all of these links are on our webpage at orphanedentertainment.com so let's listen to another five minute mystery along with a promo for another fine podcast and when we return we'll discuss 1931's indiscreet another five minute mystery when you shall unmask and reveal your true self. But for three hours, the mystery of the unknown is yours. I see all manner of people tonight. There is Misto, the magician, a gypsy, a peasant, a statesman, a clown such as myself. And there, there is Cinderella, who at midnight will find that dreams must end. But till midnight, give yourselves to the music, the wine, and the dancing. Habit. The magic of a sorcerer who jumped from apprentice to master in ten easy lessons. Oh, show us another, Mister. Oh, I do not have the time. It is nearly midnight. Can magicians stop time? Not in the society I belong to. <laughs> <laughs> Just one more, Mister. We've hardly seen you all night. I've been walking the air, searching for my inspiration. Mister, come here quickly. <laughs> Forgive me, good people. The master of the rebels calls. What is it? I was just walking in the garden, getting some air, and guess what I found? How should I know? I'm only a magician. The girl disguised as Cinderella. She's dead. What? What do we do? Look, it's almost midnight. Lock the body in a room until I get everyone to unmask. Don't let anyone suspect anything. Then we'll call the police. Okay. I'll be right back. It is almost midnight. Prepare to unmask. Wonderful. And as you reveal your real selves to one another, the royal prince will become a beggar, the peasant a wealthy man, the gypsy a statesman, the clown a respected philosopher, and Cinderella, poor Cinderella, her horse-drawn coach to become a pumpkin, the birthmark of poverty to show beneath her tired eyes. Midnight! Unmask! I, Misto the Magician, stand revealed! Yes, revealed as a murderer! <laughs> How 
does the clown know that Nestor the magician is the murderer of the woman masquerading as Cinderella? In just a moment, we'll know, but first... Hi, I'm Mike White. And I'm Rob St. Mary. And we're the hosts of the Projection Booth Podcast. If you haven't heard of the Projection Booth, that's okay. But we think it's time that you have. We've been doing this for over three years now. And we think we're doing a pretty good show. Every week we look at a different film and put it in context. We try to bring you interviews with the people behind the films. Or experts on a subject matter covered in the film. We don't specialize in any one particular genre or type of film. We try to examine every aspect of cinema. From every corner of the globe. Even at three years, we barely just scratched the surface. But we're ready. We're ready for you to listen to us. That's right. Now's the time to give us a shot. Download us through our free smartphone app. Or through Stitcher, iTunes, Geek Juice Radio, Jackalope. Or our website. Projection-booth.com. We'll keep making great shows. Now it's your turn to listen to them. And now, back to our story, The Masquerade. Are you out of your mind? No, but you must have been to let the proof of your guilt slip out. You'd have a good case if you could prove it. Why did you say birthmark of her poverty beneath her tired eyes? Why such a rich metaphor for Cinderella and a meager one for the others? She interested me. To the extent that you knew there was a birthmark beneath her right eye. You didn't know who she was. No one did. She remained masked all evening, yet you knew what lay beneath that mask. Don't tell me that was coincidence. You saw her unmasked. Yes. Yes, I I didn't mean to. It, It all happened so suddenly. You should have perfected a disappearing act, friend. It would have stood you in good stead right now. Welcome back. Yes, Indiscreet was released in 1931 by United Artists. It was directed by Leo McCary and stars Gloria Swanson and Ben Lyon. The screenplay by Buddy De Silva, Lou Brown, and Ray Henderson is based on their story, Obey That Impulse, and was originally written as a musical. But in the end, only two songs, If You Haven't Got Love and Come To Me, remained when the film was released. Now, what I can't tell, or I haven't been able to uncover whether the musical numbers were actually produced and then edited out, or if they just excised them before they even began filming. Actually, after watching the movie, I kind of leaned to them actually being in the production, but then edited and removed. Hmm. Did you have an opinion on that? I do. You know, now that you've said that, that makes sense. There are a few points in both versions that I saw, which may have been the same version, but I watched them from two different places. But there are definitely some rough moments where there are some odd cuts. Yes. uh, But saying, hey, those could have been musical numbers makes a lot more sense. This film, being that it's public domain, is out available online at a couple of different sources. Uh, Amazon Prime has a copy, which I, I watched. Uh, there, You can get, well, YouTube, you know, our YouTube channel. Problem is there are slight differences. There are some edits, some scenes that have been cut, and then even on the ones that, you know, everything seems the same, there are some odd, just the film sort of stops and then picks up or, mm-hmm. or jumps. Or people disappear. That's my favorite scene. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yes, it would make sense that maybe there's just more to the movie that just sort of uh, ended up on the editing room floor. Mm-hmm. The star, Gloria Swanson, was a silent screen legend and quickly became known for what she wore on screen as for the role she played. Her elaborate feathered boas and bejeweled headdresses, which included, like, you know, ostrich feathers and all that good stuff, were the height of fashion. She first achieved stardom while working in several of Cecil B. DeMille's comedies like Don't Change Your Husband in 1919 and Why Change Your Wife in 1920, uh, before going on to make a series of dramas that ended up propelling her right to the top of the, the star list. Swanson became one of the most famous stars in the world thanks to roles in Zaza, 1923, Madame Sans Jean in 1925, and The Untamed Lady in 1926. Being almost ahead of her time, in my opinion, uh, Swanson tried to break out and produce her own movies independently. Unfortunately, uh, one of her first attempts was a production trouble plagued The Love of Sonia in 1927. She managed to rebound with Sadie Thompson in 1928. And this is, of course, a story that we're familiar with as we covered the film Rain, which was a 
talky version of the story. Uh, this would be her last critical uh, success, which it earning her an Academy Award nomination for Best Actress and a financial hit for many years. Her next independent project, Queen Kelly, in 1929, ended up being a disastrous production. It was directed by Eric von Stroheim, and it failed to see theatrical release in the United States. It did play in Europe and South America after an alternate ending was shot in 1931. Uh, I don't want to go into the plot or the, or the different endings here, but if you're so inclined, I'd go and read up a little on it. It's um, it's interesting. <laughs> Silent films by this time were kind of being left behind in favor of the talkies, and Swanson eagerly made the transition with the film Trespasser in 1929. She played a so-called kept woman who was able to maintain her lavish lifestyle through her domineering husband. The film was a hit and earned her another Oscar nomination for Best Actress. Unfortunately, her next few talkies, including Indiscreet and Tonight or Never in 1931, and the movie Perfect Understanding in 1933, and oh, and also Music in the Air in 1934, all failed at the box office. And again, seeming a little ahead of her time, she didn't want to keep appearing in films that had a lot of similar stories with similar roles, so she left Hollywood in 1938 and moved to New York City. She spent the war years operating a patents and inventions company that recruited Jewish scientists from all over Europe, wow. helping them escape the Nazis while also benefiting from their inventions. So I thought, that's really cool. Yeah, very ahead of her time. You're right. <laughs> Swanson did appear in the comedy Father Takes a Wife in 1941, while she was also performing on several stage productions. In 1948, she hosted a local television show, The Gloria Swanson Hour, which aired uh, interviews that she conducted with various guests. Swanson returned to Hollywood when Billy Wilder cast her in Sunset Boulevard in 1950. Mm -hmm. There, Swanson played Norma Desmond, a faded silent movie star living in seclusion with her stoic butler who hires a struggling writer to pen her comeback picture, only to descend into delusion and keep him prisoner in her gloomy mansion. Sunset Boulevard briefly resurrected Swanson's career and earned the actress her third Oscar nomination for Best Actress. Following Sunset Boulevard, Swanson received scripts and offers for other roles, which she turned down because they felt like caricatures of Norma Desmond. So instead, she returned to Broadway, and she also appeared on numerous talk shows as well as uh, starring in an anthology television series. After marrying her sixth and final husband, Arthur William Duffy, in 1976, Swanson settled into a life of painting, sculpture, and promoting macrobiotic diets, which she first began practicing in the mid-20s. So that's, wow. I mean, that's kind of like today. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Again, see, you think everything's new. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she released her autobiography, Swanson on Swanson, on 1980, and that was extremely popular in the on the, um, you know, the... the bestseller list kind of thing. And in uh, 1983, at the age of 84, Gloria Swanson did pass away. So she lived a good and very interesting life, and kind of like her own life. That's what I was saying, where she seemed like very ahead of her time. She wasn't one of these contract actors that we always read about and talk about on, on this show. She was mm -hmm. very kind of modern in her kind of how she approached her career. Yeah, that is interesting. And her, and her, her life in general. So I found that really interesting. A very interesting woman. I was actually surprised to discover how much of her career was really in the silence, and she didn't have that success, successful of her career with the talkies, other mm -hmm. than like Sunset Boulevard. That surprised me a little bit. It is. It, it is surprising, and it is interesting to see. I mean, we're talking. Pro this, this is a classic iceberg. <laughs> I mean, yeah. the the parts where she was successful, there's a huge chunk of it way down at the bottom, and that's the part that a lot of us may not know that much about. Right. It. it, it I guess it's surprising because Gloria Swanson is kind of one of those names that's just synonymous with old Hollywood. Yes. Everybody but, knows it, but we don't always really know why. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and I guess I know it more for you know the 1950 for the the mm -hmm. Sunset Boulevard exactly. uh, without really knowing about her silent films. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about the film a little bit. I don't have anything else about the production and uh, her co-star here. Uh, who did I say it was? A uh, lion was his last mm -hmm. name. Was was more of the just sort of contract actor. So there wasn't a whole lot. You know, he, 
prolific though, a lot of work under his belt there. But uh, I think, yeah, I think we'll go ahead and just get into the plot here. So the film opens. Let's see. We actually, it's the, the credits roll while a car drives through the New York City. It turns out it's New Year's Eve, and a couple arrive at a woman's apartment building. She tries to convince the man that he doesn't have to accompany her to her apartment, but he <laughs> he does anyway. He pretty much insists. <laughs> she, I love, I love the introduction to this. She's just like, you don't have to come up. It's not even like, oh no, you're fine, you're fine. It's like, no, you don't have to come up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he's like. <laughs> I love he starts off with, you know, she starts to walk away and he says, wait. And she says, oh, you don't have to come up. And she turns and walks away and he turns to the driver, wait. (laughs) (laughs) Well, once in the apartment, we find out that they have come from a party and the man apparently got a little too close to another woman. Uh, I love there's some there's some fun lines in here and Gloria Swanson pulls them off so well. She she's berating him for, you know, effectively kind of flirting with someone else and while she's doing so she pulls a hair from his suit and his i think his line is something like oh come on that or this isn't like you and she's like no no i'm a i'm a brunette i know i'm a brunette (laughs) (laughs) she's got this long blonde hair in her hand (laughs) brilliant i love that anyway in this conversation we get the impression that this is not the first time that this has happened definitely not (laughs) i didn't think you noticed it I've tried not to for some time. Oh, after all, my dear, a man must live. I've often wondered why it was necessary in some cases. Will you please be serious? I am serious. The trouble has been that you haven't been serious. Don't you see to a girl it means so much more than just an adventure? Jim, you've been the only man in my life. I wish I had known it was going to end this way. Well, it doesn't have to end this way. Oh, please, dear, let's forget it. Let's start this New Year's right. I am starting it right. Without you. With whom, then? You would ask that. I'm starting it with myself. Me, Jerry, your ex, um... Jerry. I'm not ashamed or afraid. Goodbye, Jim. Have a good New Year. I'm going to have the best New Year I ever had since I've grown up. I like the whole time they're having the conversation. He keeps setting his hat down. She keeps handing it back to him. <laughs> <laughs> like, don't get comfortable, pal. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, after she shows him the door, uh, Jim makes a last... <laughs> Multiple times. <laughs> yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think I've mentioned these people's names here. I should do that before anyone gets confused. Uh, Gloria Swanson here plays Geraldine Trent, and she goes by the nickname Jerry. And the man she's kicking out is uh, Jim Woodward, I believe is the last name. So Jim here, he makes a last-ditch effort to stay with Jerry and proposes. And, and, <laughs> and she, she laughs. laughs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that must have been an effort. <laughs> <laughs> well, he really means it. You know, marriage and all that. But Jerry says it'll be too little marriage and too much all that. <laughs> Well, Jerry shows Jim the door, and he leaves. But within moments, Jerry calls him back. Jim strides in like a proud peacock. He starts taking his coat off. I love it. (laughs) And then Jerry hands him his golf clubs. (laughs) And then once again, the door. (laughs) This is is a scene like, the first time I watched it, I was cracking up the whole time. And even my husband was laughing at it. That tells you something. (laughs) So there's some, it's understated, but there's some really classic humor in this scene. Absolutely. Well, sometime later, Jerry is working from her apartment when she gets a phone call from her friend Buster. Uh, oh, and before she actually takes the call, I love that uh, she's having a, a conversation. She's talking with like her assistant, mm-hmm. and she says that she's going to be in the office early in the morning. And like, okay, what time? Noon. About twelve. <laughs> yeah, about twelve. <laughs> I love that. And I think this is where we kind of start to figure out that she's a dress designer. Yes, exactly. Anyway, she takes a phone call from her friend Buster. He has a friend, Tony Blake, and that he that this Tony wants to meet her. Well, Tony Blake just so happens is the author of the very book that she is reading, and she is very eager to meet him as well. And this book, I should mention, is what Obey That Impulse. 
and I think we come to find out this is a, a romance, mm-hmm. but about a guy that accepts a girl even though she uh, may not be as pure yeah. as the driven snow. Yes, a storied past, <laughs> shall, they, shall we say? Storied past, there you go. <laughs> Yeah, she is very, uh, Jerry is very excited, in fact. Uh, Jerry's live-in aunt uh, suggests that she go take a cold shower <laughs> to get her head straight. So we get a, a, a potentially scandalous shower scene and bathroom scene here, <laughs> at least for 1931. Mm-hmm. And then we are treated to the first of the uh, musical numbers that is left in the film, Jerry singing, If You Haven't Got Love. When she gets out of the shower, she says, I still like him, even after a cold shower. <laughs> I, I think uh, right before she gets in the shower, too, you know, she hasn't finished the book. And she she even tells Buster on the phone, don't let him know that I haven't finished yeah. it. And, like, she's getting ready to get in the shower, and she, like, flips to the last page. Oh, well, at least they end up together. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a happy ending. Well, after the musical number there, we find out that Jerry's sister, Joan, is on her way home from Europe. And depending on where you watch this film, uh, we cut to Joan on a ship talking to her new fiance. Actually, at this point, we don't know that he's a fiance yet, but we're, you know, she's. At this point, uh, we don't he's even a boyfriend. See his face at yeah, first. we don't see his yes. face at first. No. <laughs> yeah, she can't wait for Jerry and Aunt Kate to meet him. And then we find out this man is indeed Jim. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. They actually do. It's, it's actually kind of a. Of, of cute, if you've got find an, a, a copy of like with the entire scene, the yeah, he keeps his back to the camera and says very little, mm-hmm. and then it's finally like, so you say you know her? When did you meet her? It's like, oh, I doubt she'll remember me, and he then <laughs> turns, it's like, ah, oh, it's Jim. Oh my gosh, yeah, she's of course she's not going to remember him. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. So I get the impression too that a fair amount of time has probably passed. You know, we're probably sometime in the spring or summer, maybe. Yes, and I, I there are you got to have time for him to actually get to Paris. Yeah, to meet, so <laughs> well, you've got some lack of continuity in this because at one point he even makes a comment, and I think it's later on in the movie he makes a comment about it being years, and mm. uh, so it, it's I got the impression at least from a couple of things that it's been a matter of years even. Oh, okay, it's possible. I, I missed that, but that I that wouldn't surprise me. No. Well, back at Jerry's apartment, she is introduced to Anthony Blake. Tony walks around Jerry and sizes her up, and then he proclaims (laughs) that she's even prettier with her clothes on. (laughs) I've just decided you look even better with your clothes on. What? Didn't I explain? Come here. You see that building? I have an apartment there, and on a clear day, I see you here on the roof taking your sun bath in your bathing suit. Why? Oh, I know how you feel about it. I feel the same way. We should be married at once. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably going to say you don't know me well enough. So let's get acquainted. What do you do? I own a shop. You know, very smart things for very smart ladies. Good. Any profits? Not many. You see, I want to sell the nicest things. I keep them and wear them myself. <laughs> Too bad. I thought for a minute I'd be able to quit work. Well, no matter. Now that I know you, I'm still willing to go through with it. Will you marry me? You are crazy. Why am I crazy? I obey my impulses. Like the character in your book. I am the character in my book. But let's get back to our marriage. Now then, if we went around together for several months, the usual thing... Uh, you'd find out that I don't like carrots. And, and you'd find out that I dunk my donuts. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's twice as much fun marrying first and getting acquainted afterwards. Have you ever done it before? Uh, no. <laughs> but right now I have an impulse to do it and I always obey my impulses. We miss so much in life by not doing what we're really feeling. 
Did you ever want to trip a waiter when he's carrying a tray full of dishes? Yes. I've done it. <laughs> no. <And> it's marvelous. <laughs> it only cost me twenty-eight sixty. <laughs> what are you doing tonight? Why, do you want to go out and trip waiters? Yes. <laughs> I'd rather ring doorbells than run. Oh, the fun <laughs> we are going to have together. This is that part uh, where in the version that I was watching, you have four people in the room, he tosses his hat to her, and the other two people literally disappear. Yes, yes. <laughs> and I, Aunt I got and Buster. the impression it was a weird cut, though. Yes. <laughs> Yes, I'm afraid Buster and uh, Aunt Kate immediately disappear. They're witches, and they, yeah. uh, <laughs> they blink out of existence. <laughs> yeah, well, Jerry and Tony hit it off, and they began dating. Jerry confides in her aunt that she feels she must tell Tony about Jim. Again, there's another uh, uh, time jump here. I mm-hmm. definitely get the impression that many days, if not weeks, have passed. And there's a bit of rough writing in here, too. I think she says, mm. oh, I'm falling in love with him more every day. And then she gets this look and she goes, but it can't last. You know? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Wait a minute. <laughs> okay, that was quick. <laughs> <laughs> well, she feels she must tell Tony about Jim. Aunt Kate tells her that this is the, the one sure way to ruin everything. Well, Jerry still wants to tell him. She'll feel guilty if she doesn't. As she puts it, I guess I'm just a modern girl with an old-fashioned conscience. That night, Tony and Jerry arrive at Tony's apartment after a date, and they are um, sickeningly adorable with each other, They're by the so way. so cute. Oh, my They goodness. are very adorable. <laughs> Tony can tell something is bothering Jerry, but she tells him that, it, that it's nothing and reminds him that he was going to autograph one of his books. While he does so, she asks if he believes everything in his book, you know, obey that impulse. And he explains that the main character is him, but kind of idealized, so not exactly. He shows her what he has written. In the book, he writes, Though I live to be a hundred, every hour I'll love you more. Well, Jerry finally decides to break it to Tony. I have an idea for your new novel. Really? Yes. You should call it Love and Kisses. And you could point out the difference between love and just kisses. Say, that's not bad. Suppose by way of plot, a girl who's had an affair with one man falls in love with another. Should she tell him? That all depends on the man. Supposing you're like the character in your book. Oh, I see. Well, it might be better for her to tell him than to let him find out for himself. That's what I thought. On the other hand, it might be wise for her to say nothing. What a man doesn't know won't hurt him. I guess if everyone told the truth, nobody would marry anybody. Then honesty isn't the best policy. Really? The modern baby face looks up at the chump she's going to marry and says, You're the only one I've ever loved. And the big sap says, Yeah. And they live happily ever after. Oh, I don't know. It's hard to say what a girl should do who's faced with that situation. But I am, Tony. You're what? Faced with that situation. After a minute or two, Tony finally speaks. So long as she'll never see him again, he can live with it. And in fact, <laughs> he is... I said to my husband. <laughs> <laughs> and in fact, he's been with another woman, so they're kind of even. And again, he proposes and she accepts. I have to admit that this scene, I, I didn't know how it was going to go. When she explains to him that she's been with another man, he puts his head in his hand and he kind of shakes his head. And I thought, oh, this is where he's going to like, this is all a gag. You know, he's just pretending to be upset. And in the end, he's going like, oh, I don't care. I was a little, that's where it's kind of like, oh, so this film is going to be that way. You know, <laughs> with him like, oh, well, that's all right, I guess. You know, yeah, I was a little disappointed. You were, you were hoping that he would just brush it off? Yes, I was. Oh, and it's an interesting point. I mean, this is 1931, and it's still quite a scandal. You know, when she says she's a modern girl, that's code in the 30s for... Sure. 
you know, a, a loose woman. Mm-hmm. And uh, it still is kind of a big deal, especially with a nice guy that the girl he's with hasn't ever. But, you know, it's, it's that double standard, darn it, that's been around forever. Yeah. <laughs> Guys can, girls can. So exactly. uh, it, it seems a little like it's it's it took me a minute because they're so lighthearted about so much of what they say that it took me a minute to realize, Oh no, this actually is a big deal. Like, uh, it's not just, you know, cheesy script in this era. It really does matter. So, so yeah, it's, I can see him being upset. Yeah. It just seemed like up to this point, the film was being pretty, was being pretty progressive. And then at that point, it's kind of like, no misogyny still ruining, you know, still reigns. Uh, So I was like, ah, well, all right, moving on. (laughs) I don't know. And I don't know that we've talked about this one. I don't believe this is pre-code, is it? Yes, this would be a pre-code. Yeah, absolutely. It is pre-code. 1931, yes, absolutely. So it is actually fairly um, moderate for having been actually pre-code. But you have to remember that this is still a period of time where most people, at least professingly, are very conservative. True. So, uh, so you know, if they just brush it off, that's one thing. But we do want to get, we do want the idea. I think, I feel like they really put the 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 idea out there that Jerry really is a nice woman. She's not. Oh, absolutely. She really thought Jim was going to marry her all this time, mm-hmm. and then she finally, after however long they were together, you know, throws him off because she realizes he's not. So it's like I almost feel like the point of all of this is to point out that she really is. Not a loose woman. No, she really no. isn't running around. She genuinely got had. Right, yeah. Jim was her only uh, dalliance, I guess. Yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she, she even says that, you know, he, I, I think uh, Tony asked her, did, did you love him? And she's like, I thought I did. You have to know. You, you know I would have thought I did. I would have had to. I, right. I, you know that I'm not the type of person that would do that if I hadn't really believed mm-hmm. I loved him. Right. So. So anyway, yeah, he does propose, and she does accept, and after a loving, passionate kiss, she quickly leaves. Uh, Tony, noticing she forgot her signed book, adds something to his note. Dun-dun-dun. Jerry comes back just as he finishes and is distraught that he has changed it. He hands her the book, and she reads it. What he's added says, Bulletin, the first hour is up, and the above still goes. Another long kiss and a cut to the rain outside. <laughs> and I think this is kind of a nudge, nudge, wink, wink. <laughs> and a train goes into a tunnel in the distance. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Either. Well, since, <laughs> since neither one's a virgin, no sense waiting now. <laughs> yeah, you know, hey. <laughs> but it is sweet. This is seriously, every time this scene ends, I go, aw. It is. <laughs> it's so sweet. <laughs> So this is another another time jump. Sometime later, Joan arrives home. Uh, Buster is very happy to see her, but she kind of gives him the cold shoulder. Uh, they were apparently an item before before Joan left for school in Europe. Gee, it's great to see you, baby. Hey, what's the matter? Please, Buster. I have to unpack and everything. Hey, aren't you glad to see me? Of course, I'm glad to see you. But... But what? <laughs> quit being so young. I mean, you're older than you are. Well, act it. It was rather silly to think that things would be the same between us after two years. You're kidding. Yeah, Buster's kind of fun. Um, he is, uh, to use the vernacular of the time, kind of the country bumpkin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what he's doing in New York, but he doesn't seem like he really fits there. Yeah, it it is kind of... They mentioned that the girls are from Oklahoma originally. Yes. And obviously, since Joan went from school in Oklahoma to school in Europe, she must have known him from Oklahoma. But you are right. I hadn't really thought about it. But why is he, is he there? there? Yes. <laughs> Can't figure Aww. it out. And that, that question will come up again here um, in yeah. a little bit. <laughs> yes. Well, Joan and Jerry kind of um, giggle over some old photos that they have, and then we get song number two. Come to me, come to me, you know that I do. 
<laughs> I love this part. And they mention, you know, oh, this was your SOS whenever you had a bow in the parlor that was getting too bowish. <laughs> <laughs> and you would sing this song, and I'd come out and say, oh, it's bedtime, Jerry. Uh-huh. <laughs> and they, honestly, they are totally believable as sisters. Oh, yeah. Especially sisters with a, with a pretty big age gap. They're very, very believable. And they look a lot alike, too. It doesn't hurt. Yeah, what do you think... Um Joan, I was going to say, was probably, what, 17? Uh, She was gone away to school. She probably went to finishing school is what I'm Mm -hmm. guessing. She was probably still in her teens. She may have been as old as 20, but she wouldn't have been any older than that for sure. Right. And Jerry was definitely, I mean, she owns her own business. She's a a fashion uh, creator. She's a clothing, clothing designer. So she's probably definitely in her... Upper 20s, probably. Yeah, 20s th- or early 30s. Early 30s. But at one point, Joan mentions how much that um, Jer- Jerry's done for me. She's worked so hard so that I could go to school. Right. And so, obviously, this has been a situation for some time. Well, after the song, Joan notices a photo of Tony on the piano and discovers that he is her future brother-in-law. Joan also drops the news that she met a man, too. Jim Woodward. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Jerry's stomach drops, but she doesn't tell Joan about the past they share together. Well, time for Buster's party. Now, here's another part where it's kind of like, Buster, what are you doing in New York? Because <laughs> he's, it's like a, maybe a birthday party or something for him, but it's a big, like the whole restaurant rented out kind of thing. So he must, they all moved from Oklahoma to New York to become successful somethings. Yeah, I didn't catch that. I just picked it up as it being a small party at a restaurant, but maybe I misunderstood. Oh, that could be. Maybe it was just everyone at the table, but it still seemed like an awfully fine uh, restaurant. With, it was a very which nice would, restaurant. <laughs> which would definitely be a pretty big ticket item for a whole group of people at a table that yes. is Buster's quote-unquote party. So it's like, well, if Buster's paying for this, he must have some money. So he's doing something that's, you know. <laughs> Illegal. No, I mean. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> This is also one of those scenes, too, where I think if it, if the film had the musical numbers in, this is where one of them would be. This just mm-hmm. the whole restaurant, it was a very grand set. So I'm thinking mm-hmm. this is where a big song and dance number would have been. Yes. Yep, so at Buster's party, everyone's having a good time. Unfortunately, uh, Joan invited Jim to drop in. He shows up, and Jerry and Aunt Kate go silent. And look... They look knives, oh, <laughs> I think yes. is the right phrase. Yes. They absolutely look knives. That's a great description. <laughs> While everyone is at the table, Tony finally announces his and Jerry's engagement. Uh, Jim is a ass. I have a note in my notes, and I don't remember why. <laughs> he keeps trying to grab Jerry's hand, mm. and then he asks her to dance. You know, oh, can I, you know, dance with the bride kind of thing. And, uh, you know, he's really lording over this whole thing that Jerry can't say anything. Yes, yes. Gloria Swanson, in particular, is amazing at the icy anger. She really is. Oh, this is this is the silent film star coming through. Mm-hmm. Oh, you can you you don't need to watch some of these scenes with sound to know what's going on in yes. Jerry's head. Well, the dance, as I was saying, as with many other scenes, is oddly cut and a little jumpy. So it's hard to back out some of the dialogue and everything here. So I'm sorry if I kind of skip through some of it. There is great body language in this dance and everything, too. Jerry is very, I mean, she's practically pushing against Jim to keep away. She won't put her hand in his. He just sort of, it's just (laughs) just limply. Oh, it is so (laughs) awkward. It is. It really is. People people are putting their drinks near them to chill. Yeah. After the dance, Jerry beelines it for the table, which was another great, yeah. Jim turns to the clap, oh, how nice, and then turns around, she is gone. Yes. She beelines it for the table, and once everyone is there, Joan asks Jim to invite everyone to his home. Well, he invites the whole group to his big weekend that he's hosting for his father. I guess maybe it's his father's birthday or something like that. And uh, Joan adds that it will be also, it may celebrate two engagements 
<laughs> and again, cold, icy, angry stares from Jerry. Yeah. Je- I have to point out, Joan is really adorable. She is the picture of innocence. Mm-hmm. And she's just like so excited and enthusiastic. And you're just like, oh, honey. Yeah. <laughs> like... She's been in a convent. Oh, that's right. And he, Jerry even says, you've been in a convent so long, you've probably forgotten what boys look like. Yeah, and, right. Well, all know, but one. <laughs> except for one. And she's, and you're just going, oh, just, uh, honey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, sometime later, Joan is packing her bags for, bags for the weekend. Jerry's in the other room with uh, Aunt Kate. Jerry isn't going and doesn't think Jean, Joan should go either. She tries to talk Joan out of it, but can't, or won't, give the real reason as to why. What's the matter? Aren't you going? No, and you shouldn't go. But Jerry, his parents want to meet us. And you think he wants to marry you? What about Buster? He's just a kid. I like older men. Naturally, you would at your age. What'd you tell Buster? I had that out with him this morning. He'll get over it. He's a fine boy. You mean to imply that Jim isn't? Darling, you've always listened to me. Please listen to me now. I, I know something about life. You're only on the brink of it. And I want you to benefit by my experience. You mustn't have heartaches that you can possibly avoid. That's why I want you to believe me when I say that Jim Woodward's not the sort of man you should marry. How do you know so much about him? You said you barely remembered him. Well, I, I knew a girl that he went with and how he treated her and lots of others. I don't care about his others. Every man has had others. Ask Tony. Joan. Just a moment, Aunt Kate. At least Jim didn't love the others. Now that he's engaged to me, he's through with them all. He told me so. He told you so. Would you believe black was white if he told you so? I have to know that he promised to marry this particular girl. And she believed in him. All the while he was running around with a dozen others that believed in him, too. You've no right to talk to me like this. I'm old enough to know what I'm doing. You think so? Yes, I do. How do you know this girl's telling the truth about Jim? I wouldn't believe anything I heard from that kind of girl. Oh, yes, you would from this kind of... No, I wouldn't. She's probably lying. Who is she? And yes, right at the moment when she's ready to spill it, Aunt Kate stops Jerry from telling everything. And I'm not... I get that. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to... We both are thinking I'm thinking the same thing. I'm like, (laughs) I'm not sure what would be so wrong of her admitting to her, okay, look, we dated. He's a heel. You know, Mm -hmm. this is what happened. He's just going to do it to you. Get out while you can. If it isn't already too late. Yes. Well, and I guess that's part of it is, as you're watching it, you don't think... You don't stop and go, oh, well, she could just say, oh, I dated him and he's awful. Right. You know, you just think, oh, yeah, she's either got to tell the whole story or tell none of it. And Mm -hmm. that's kind of the attitude that Aunt Kate definitely has. Right. Is is it a matter of Jerry just trying to save face, you know, to her sister? You know, it's presented that way. I think if they had gone a little more in depth with it, they could have made it more about setting a good example for her sister rather than just not telling her that, oh, Jerry did this horrible thing. Um, There are a couple of bits in this that are smoothed over that that it could stand a little bit more explanation or exposition. This is one of those, I think. Yep, absolutely. I, I, I agree. Yeah, it's funny that we both kind of come to the same conclusion right about this point. It was like, what's wrong with letting her know? I don't get it. And Aunt Kate comes in and says, oh, stop fighting. Oh, Joan, you go marry the man you love. Wait, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Aunt Kate, Kate, what the hell? You know what this guy is capable of, and you're going to let this little 18-year-old girl go and marry this guy that is, A, probably twice her age, and B, you know is a heel. Yeah. So not not the best decision there, Aunt Kate. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Well, about this time, uh, Tony calls up Jerry and lets her know that um, everything's all set for the wedding. Just a quick wedding around the corner, and then their passports and everything are, are ready, and the two are ready for their honeymoon. And, uh, yeah, I like his giggling over the passport yes. photo. <laughs> the passport photo where they, they look either like they're in a fight or yeah. they're like, basically they look like they're arguing. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, he describes it as like, we don't look like, we don't look like a couple trying to leave the country. We look like a couple trying to get in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he also breaks the news that he can't go to the Woodwards. Business is taking him out of town to Washington. After Jerry hangs up, she announces to Aunt Kate that they're all going after all. 
So apparently, I guess she plans on trying to go to see if she can't uh, talk Joan out of it, I guess. Break or up the engagement. Yeah. Break off the engagement, something. Point is, she's trying to keep Jim and Tony away from each other before <laughs> before uh, Tony finds out about Jim, yeah. you know, who Jim is exactly. I do get the impression that you know she was being honest when she told J- or when she told Tony, "Yeah, I'm not going to go either. It wouldn't be any fun without you." Mm-hmm. And then as soon as they're off the phone, she goes, "Oh wait, I could totally go in. I could break up this engagement if that's the deal." Yeah, exactly. So I think I don't think she was being dishonest with them. I think she it just occurs to her suddenly, "Oh wait, I could do something about this." Yep, I agree. Well, at the Woodwards, everyone is uh, frolicking and having fun. Jim's parents are telling Joan how disappointed that uh, how disappointed they are that her sister and aunt couldn't make it. When surprise, they arrive. <laughs> Back at Tony's apartment, he looks like he's all packed up and ready to leave for his business trip to Washington. When the phone rings, uh, whatever was going on that was taking him away, well, that's been taken care of by someone else. There's no need for him to go after all. At the Woodwards, Jerry is talking to Buster. She apologizes for not being able to talk any sense into Joan for him. Buster decides to take matters into his own hands, and after a dose of liquid courage, he goes to talk to the elder Woodwards to have them call the whole thing off. <laughs> he's, he's actually really cute here. He takes one big swig of whatever it is. He goes for the second <laughs> one, and he's like, I, I'm brave enough now. <laughs> Well, Buster does talk to them and decides the best thing to do is to tell some lies about the Trents. <laughs> he tells the Woodwards that Aunt Kate is a bootlegger and that while the Trent family, or and that the whole Trent family has a dash, just a dash, mind you, of insanity. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder though if that's uh, if that's what gave Aunt Kate her somewhat poor judgment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe that's also, true, and, and maybe that's you know that's how Buster got all his money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go. Well, after his meeting with the Woodwards, Buster tells Jerry what he said, and it turns out she's rather uh, she's pretty mortified and angry at him for for it. But that night at dinner, she realizes that this may be just what she needs to save Joan from Jim. And the, the dinner scene is pretty funny. She's trying to butter some bread or something. It's some Crackers, toast. Crackers, I think. Cracker yeah. toaster. <laughs> some toast, and it keeps snapping her hand. But the whole time, she's, like, still angry at Buster. So she's, like, just staring at him. She's got the knife, and then she happens to be sitting right next to Elder Woodward there, and he's watching her with this knife and then trying to butter these things, and they're snapping. <laughs> and, yeah, that that's where she gets the idea of, oh, wait a minute. I could go ahead and maybe play with this whole insanity thing. <laughs> and what does she do? She adds sugar to her soup. Yeah. <laughs> Are you enjoying starts- your consomme? Consomme? <laughs> I thought it was soup. <laughs> starts adding it to Mr. Woodward's as well. Yes. Uh, yeah. So, but honestly, this is about the 50 minute mark of the movie. And from here on, I mean, there's a lot that goes on, but this is actually where the movie kind of really shifts gears and turns into almost slapstick mm. and which makes it, ex- and, and it really turns it into like the, the comedy of, you know, this has been kind of a romance and then the comedy picks up about this point. And as you know, trying to describe comedy is extremely difficult in a, <laughs> uh, in a synopsis. So that's where I'm stopping the synopsis. I don't know if there was anything um, after this that you really wanted to talk about or not. I think I think if we go too far, we're going to start giving away things. Exactly. Yeah, that too. I mean, secrets, not gifts. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, uh, guys. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, an interesting film, to say the least. It, it, Theme-wise, it's definitely very pre-code, but they do tame it a little bit, or they definitely do a lot more innuendo than uh, outright, uh, you know, let it, let let on on anything. Mm-hmm. But it was still it was interesting watching a film where the the main point of the film was I'm not a virgin and I don't know what to tell the man I'm in love with. I'm like, wow, that's an interesting subject matter. Well, only because you've never been dating a man that you weren't sure what to tell him. You know, from personal experience, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. (laughs) It is, especially in this era, that it is a risque topic. Mm -hmm. And especially when you've got, you know, the buildup of lies going on and the, 
or the lack of information sharing between sisters, it gets a little bit more convoluted. Yes. Uh, but, I mean, you've got to go. I mean, Jim is really a heel. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. He oh. had to have known Joan's last name is Trent. She looks like Jerry. Obviously, they're sisters, you know, and they've obviously been talking about each other or about her. And that's something so. that doesn't really come up, and I was expecting it to, the, the idea that Jim planned this all along. Or not yes. all along, but when he met Joan, he realized, ah, I can get back at Jerry. Yes. And that doesn't come out. But it doesn't. I feel like that has to have been there. It should have been there. I think I think that's another one of the shortcomings and and I kind of am mentally listing off the the parts where they could have done more and that's one of them. You know, the Jim Jim is even at one point I think there's a comment made about him just being stupid and he can't, either the guy has just horrible luck. <laughs> or he planned something. Um, there, there's no way he could just, you know, innocently stumble into this with these two sisters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that was a, that was surprising. That was a, just another twist in the plot that I that didn't happen that I was really expecting. Mm -hmm. And I feel like maybe that a lot of this could be a victim of whether this how much of this film was edited out to remove to remove the musical aspect mm, of it. Yeah. Now, how much ended up you know, before and after the song and dance was chopped off that may have um, filled in some of the gaps that we feel like were there. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and even beyond that, it, it's possible that the the gaps weren't as obvious just because you were distracted by the singing and dancing. Like, yeah, that, possible. That it didn't necessarily, maybe it didn't even fill anything in, but you just kind right. of forgot about it because, you know, hey, the ending is the ending and that's what you're waiting for is to see what happens to these people. And you're not, you know, the average person watching it might not be picking out these details saying, well, what about this? What about that? Well, apparently more than the average person picked something out because, as I said before, this was a financial failure at the box office. It didn't really attract the people. Maybe it would have done better had it been a musical. I don't know. I don't know what kind of songs you could throw into this movie that you wouldn't sit there and go, oh, my <laughs> gosh. You know. Um, <laughs> well, it's funny. I did a little bit of research on the time. And, you know, this, this was produced in 1930 and mm -hmm. released in 1931. Well, uh, the the... Sorry, I just totally lost my, my vocabulary. <laughs> the Great Depression started off with the crash of 1929. Mm -hmm. So this kind of, I feel like it kind of had bad timing because it came out at a time where people were really focused on all the bad things that were happening. And this movie doesn't play as a straight comedy. There's quite a bit of, of serious drama going on in it. Mm -hmm. And if it had been a straight comedy, it may have been more successful. But it, it doesn't, part of the shortcoming of this movie is it doesn't have a strong identity. It's partly romance, it's partly a drama, and it's partly a comedy. And the funny yes. stuff is really funny, and the dramatic stuff is really dramatic, and the romantic stuff is really romantic. But it's hard to fall into a stride or into a flow when you're watching this movie because you keep getting pulled around. It almost feels like it's a couple of different movies pushed together. Yes, it's very uneven. Yeah, absolutely. It is. Un uneven in tone, absolutely. Yeah. So that, I mean, my my money would be on the fact that it never really grabs its own identity and runs with it. You're mm -hmm. always kind of stepping back and forth between, oh, I'm laughing at one thing, but then this is serious, but then this is funny, but I'm not quite over the serious part, so I can't really laugh at it the way that I probably would. You know? Yeah, and I agree that any one of those by themselves would have been great. Like, if it had all been this really smart comedy like we, like it feels like it's going to be in that first yes. apartment scene. Yeah, that would have exactly. been brilliant. All if all the dialogue was that snappy and that smart, mm -hmm. that would have been brilliant. And it or, makes up for the lack of action that happens in that scene. You kind of don't yeah. care. It's all understated, but it's funny enough and it's witty enough yeah. that it plays along fine. Or if it, if it had been as romantic as it is in the in Tony's apartment when he you know, <laughs> yes. he carries her in because it was raining outside and he is so sweet with her and so nice and she's like mm -hmm. oh I'm scared of the dark he, he carries her over to the turn on the light <laughs> and better a little <laughs> <laughs> that whole scene is so adorable uh, but yeah that too would be at the end you'd just you'd be totally in love with these with this couple mm -hmm. um, it does manage you 
managed to get you to hate Jim because Joan is so sweet. You you mentioned it before. She's just adorable. I mean, she, she is this is. just example of innocence. She is so sweet and she is so kind. You're like, I'm going to kill that man. Yeah. But then you never get to the point where he really... You never feel like you really are justified in just taking him out and, you know, like... What do you do? Skin a person? I don't. Even I don't know. know. <laughs> <laughs> you, but you never get to a point where you're like this. That's the part, you know. I think we were talking about where they kind of leave off. They don't really explain how he got involved with the sister, right? Um, so you never really have a point where you you like where he's really intentionally evil, and so you don't get the opportunity to to hate him to the full extent and you know cheer for his demise as it were. Yeah, and then so. By the time it comes to the end, and it's like, well, I don't know. Did he get his comeuppance? Was that was that enough? Was that not enough? I don't know. You yeah, know? and I and you, yeah, without saying too much. Yeah, I don't want to give it away, but yeah, yeah. you just never <laughs> really know how you're supposed to. Oh, that'll learn him, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that'll wait. Wait, what just happened? And then, yeah. and then you know, with the end scene, which. It, it's. I think it's fair to say there's a little comedy at the end sure. that is completely entertaining to watch, and I think it goes back. You know, we mentioned briefly that Gloria Swanson as a is a physical actor is very mm-hmm. entertaining, and she does some hilarious stuff, and there's some really funny stuff that happens. But even that at the end is a bit of an abrupt ending, and you're kind of like, oh, I could I could have used like another little sweet scene, you know, between. Some a romantic couple, or so I could have used a little more comedy or another line or something to really wrap it all up. Yeah, so there's a lot of hesitation. Either it was just written too quickly, or they just were hesitant to put more out there. Who mm-hmm. knows? We'll never know. No, exactly. <laughs> but exactly. it is, it is, it's not that it's not entertaining to watch, it's that if you think about it too hard, you're a little dissatisfied. Yep, exactly. Which, unfortunately, when you're kind of watching it for a review purpose, yeah, you know, exactly, <laughs> makes it a little. <laughs> yeah, you kind of have to. You kind of have to pick at it, and mm-hmm. it's like, oh, this is one of those ones where you just you don't have to pick at it long before things start to unravel. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah if you're just glazing over it, it's it's a fun movie. It's got lots of interesting things in it. It's got just enough drama that you know that's satisfying. It's got some romance, but when you start digging into it, it's not really enough of any one thing to make it satisfying. Yeah. Now, as I said, there's a couple of different prints out there on online. Um, the quality isn't too awful, certainly not for some of the films that we've watched from this era. Uh, the dialogue and everything, you can get most of it. There's just a few moments where it's just, there's too much noise going on that some of the dialogue is hard to pick out, you know, when you got the band playing and that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, other than that, it's actually pretty good. Um, Except for the the odd edit points here and there mm-hmm. that just get and it cuts, seems like, yeah, yeah, and they're usually like a really loud blurb. And again, after you having said that there were some music numbers that were cut or left out, it makes so much more sense. It sounds like those are song points. Mm. So that so you're gonna you're gonna catch those as you're watching it, and you know they might startle you if you're not paying very close attention. <laughs> <laughs> but they're they're not aside from being confusing, they're not super uh, destructive to the to the story. Yep. So overall, um, what would what do you think? Did you did you like it? Did you hate it? Let's uh, let's put a rating on it. Uh, one of course is the just don't bother, skip it. Oh, and five is the you must watch this film. Where about <laughs> would it fall for you, Lydia? Uh, I'm going to give it a really, really optimistic. I'm going to give it a three, actually, not very optimistic. I I wanted to I want to be able to score this movie better because of the some of the things we've talked about, but because of the many downfalls that we've also talked about, I really can't rate it very highly. What it does do is it makes me want to go back and watch something else with Gloria Swanson and mm-hmm. see if there's something out there that's really well written, especially in this era when she's a little bit younger. And and I'm really interested now to see some of her silent films after seeing her act in this and just her body language and her facial expressions. She is entertaining to watch. She's very entertaining. So I feel like this is not a strong candidate for many Othels 
for many reasons, <laughs> but it does prompt me to want to look into some of the other, the people in it. And, uh, I don't think we even touched on it, but the director also directed, um, an affair to remember and a couple of other very well-known ones. Um, I can't, I can't think of any others right now, but the, that by itself should tell you the kind of caliber of the director and the potential that he had. Obviously this is quite a bit before an affair to remember came out. So, um, but I would love to go back and see her, especially in a couple of other things. I, as, as weird as it is, Ben Lyon, the, the main love interest in this, he's not very dashing, but he is a very, he is a Mr. Tilney. He is not dashing, but darn it, he is entertaining. He's so fun to listen to. He's, he's charismatic. <laughs> he's very charismatic. He's got, and he's got the sweet nature, and he just he says all the right stuff. You just totally love him. So uh, while you would never put him in, you know, the Cary Grant category, I would, I wouldn't mind seeing him again in something. So uh, I will definitely be looking up some other stuff that has these people in him, but I have to give it a three i can't do yep. better than that and that's that's a little bit generous i think yeah no i i agree with you on the on the reasons as to why i would still i'm actually going to go lower i'm going to give it a very strong and solid two <laughs> uh it's just not a film i'm really drawn to go back to i i'm a i'm drawn to go back and watch a few scenes again mm-hmm. you know if, if the opportunity arises i just like i don't know what i'm why I would want to do it, but I would just go back and watch a few scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like you said, yes, it just makes you want to see more Gloria Swanson. And mm-hmm. I'd love to see her more in a you know the more physical role of a silent film. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I'm very interested to go back and watch some of her some of her older works. And then um, I may at some point watch Sunset Boulevard. I've never watched that. Yeah, I haven't either. So it's really interesting that. And I kind of glanced at it really briefly, and I get the impression it's film noir. So I'm really interested now. That is not what I thought it was. For some reason, I think I had it mixed up with like, oh, what's the one, the Sunday one with Fred Astaire and he's singing. But anyway, I I always thought of Sunset Boulevard as a musical with Fred Astaire in it. That is Hmm. not what it is. No, no, not at all. So now I'm curious uh, to to kind of see that. But it is worth mentioning. And I know I've kind of gushed a little bit. I love the romantic ones and the funny ones. But there are scenes in this movie where I did find myself literally laughing out loud Mm -hmm. both times I viewed it. So even though I knew it was coming, it was that funny the second time that I laughed again. So it is worth a watch, I think. You may not add it to your favorites list, but... Uh, certainly, if you're just looking for some lighthearted comedy, it's not it's not an absolute miss. It's it, two is two is a fairer score for it. Mm-hmm. I will say that. Yeah, I have to admit the the, the three to me from you actually seems uh, surprisingly a, a little a little high than I thought that I would have uh, I would have guessed you at. But uh, still, your reasons behind it were were fair. Uh, just if nothing else, just because. You, I think you're giving an extra points because it's inspiring you to go watch yeah. other films. You know? <laughs> well, and I, and I have to be honest, I, I suspected a low score from you, so I might be uh, compensating a little for Maybe. that as well. <laughs> I think if I were to if I were to straight score it fairly, I wouldn't say better than a two and a half. Yeah. But um, there's a lot in this movie. There's a lot in this movie that. Yeah, if you could have just polished it up a little bit, this would have been a, just an absolute joy. Yes, and it, the it, dialogue is good where yeah. there is dialogue. Right, <laughs> where the dialogue is clear and there is some, and it's comprehend and it's coherent. <laughs> uh, there, it, that's I think, and that's the disappointment to it is that there, it doesn't wrap itself up into a into a whole package. Well, still, as always, fun to talk about here with you. Yes. So I guess that is going to do it for 1931's Indiscreet. Thank you, everyone, for listening. As I said before, please send any feedback on this or any episode to orphanedentertainment at gmail.com or come and join the Facebook group. We'll be happy to have you there on along with everyone else. Uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel so you can watch this film, although, granted, it's not one of the better quali- the copies. I didn't realize that there was stuff missing until after I already uploaded it, and I hate deleting things and then re-uploading and whatever, so my apologies. I may do that at some point. <laughs> or link to a better version of it, even. Yeah, yeah, I may, may do that. Um, so, yeah, I guess that is going to do it for us. Uh, Lydia, as always, thank you very much for joining me. I know, you know, we kind of took a while to get around to this one but i'm glad we finally did 
I'm uh, always happy when we do. <laughs> yes. Uh, we will be back in another month to discuss another film. So until then, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you then. Bye. Bye.